Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Crimeology. This is episode 92, uh, the second episode of season four, our most popular episodes. Um, I'm so excited. I about butchered my intro right there too. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm just, I'm still not back into the, to the, the recording mode. Game. At least ours. <laughs> yeah. So that two two weeks is a long time off, and yeah. then to and especially talk. and especially being off work for two weeks that also, too. like just being a bum at home for two weeks was really great. But it's really like my mind still because I'd stay up till like one or two. And there was one night it was like three thirty that I stayed up, and I was like, ooh. Oops. I read through these before I come over here and reading this one in particular, I was fumbling over my words and I was like, I've got to get it together before I go over there. Great. So here we go. Nothing's changed <laughs> exactly. over four seasons. Um, Episode 92. We're just going to jump into it. This is Richard Ramirez. So before we get started, I will say that Richard committed over 40 crimes during his life, having over 25 victims. He was convicted of murder, attempted murder, sexual assaults, and burglary. So I'm not going to go crime by crime or victim by victim like I have in the past. So I'm going to kind of just talk about the key points of his life um, instead of going victim by victim like I normally do. So we're going to start this episode by talking a little bit about Richard's childhood. Richard was born in Mexico, but soon after his family moved to El Paso, Texas, where he spent his childhood. Now he had a rough childhood. His father was known to be an angry man and would often beat his wife and Richard's other siblings. And Richard's abuse at home would start at the age of two when he was hit on the head by a piece of furniture. So because of his home life, he spent a lot of time with an older cousin who lived in the area. This cousin was an army veteran, so spent a lot of time telling Richard war stories. He would tell Richard the horrific things he's witnessed or done and even went into graphic details about rapes that he was a part of. The cousin would later go on to teach Richard at 10 years old how to kill someone and how to capture a person. Well, that's a very interesting... Need to know at 10 years old. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. Man, okay. So at the age of 13, on May 4th, 1973, Richard was at his cousin's house when his cousin and his wife got into a heated argument. His cousin would end up shooting his wife in the face, and Richard was there to witness it all. Richard's cousin would end up being arrested, but he would be found not guilty on reason of insanity. So this shows you what kind of person is literally teaching Richard how to be a human. The cousin would be sentenced to serve four years in a mental hospital. So I think that's super interesting 
like all the ones you know these the last three seasons we've talked about yep. all these people like they you know they go try to plead insanity and like 98 percent of them are right. like yeah no you're not gonna get this but this guy gets it i mean granted that was a pretty right you know heinous act to do so i mean that's i mean like i get it but i was like that's kind of crazy to me that you know it took you know we've seen all these different ones and this is one of the and this isn't even the guy that we're really talking about right then he gets the you know he gets the insanity plea so that per granted. that reason exactly like shows you like yeah i mean we've seen crazy people and we've seen people who have tried to act crazy and everybody's like right. yeah no but this guy was probably trying to act not crazy and they were like no you're crazy and that's the person who is raising this murderer that we now know so while his cousin is away richard ends up moving in with his older sister and her husband roberto now roberto was known as a peeping tom so roberto would end up bringing richard along with him to spy into younger girls' homes, watching them change, use the bathroom, or just watch them during the night. So now during this time, Richard worked at a hotel, and he would use his universal key to get into guest room and rob them. So, like, number one, I'm just going to stop right there for yep. just a minute. Like, I know that's probably, I'm not going to say a common, but, like, that's kind of, like, a smart thing to do. I don't ever leave my, I mean, not that I ever have anything important when I go to yeah. motels. I don't ever leave my bag in the motel room because I'm always like, I, mean, I want to take these shirts home. That's the only thing I have in there, shirts and pants. But I want to take them home with me if I brought them. So I bring everything. And my sister specifically, because I travel most with my sister, she hates it and she thinks I'm being so paranoid. But I'm like, listen, I would do it. <laughs> like you know what i mean right just to be in that like i'm such a nosy person that i'm like what you yes, got you in are. here <laughs> so not that i would take anything but i would just be like what you got in here let me look at what you got yeah, where, where like, you your clothes like since i've started traveling more for work like like i'll hide stuff yeah like differently or like i'll set like like i'll specifically set like i'll put like my ipad <laughs> yep. like at a specific angle like yep. i mean i know nothing's probably right you know more than likely gonna happen but it's just like that Let's yep. just see. Yep. So. So one day he enters a room where a woman is in the room. He attempts to rape the woman, but her husband would end up entering the room and attacking Richard. Richard is arrested, but later is released because the couple refused to testify. The couple lived out of state, so they didn't want to have to end up traveling back and forth to testify. So they drop the charges. And so this is one of those crazy things to now, I mean, you don't know this dude, but like in the end, like if this couple would have pressed charges and he would have gotten jail time, yeah, would that have changed his life completely? You know, so it's like little things like that, that you're like, would things have been different if this couple did? Anyways. So now we're jumping to when Richard is 22 years old. So we're assuming that when he's in the hotel working, he's a teenager, which is a lot of time between 15, 16 years old when you get first get a job to 22. 
that's a lot of time that we're not talking about. But honestly, there's not a lot to talk about him with. He probably could have been out there doing stuff and not getting caught. Like petty. I mean, obviously he was doing petty robberies, peeping into people's houses. So he probably was doing little things like that. So it is such a big jump. But there's like really nothing to talk about him in those areas. So sidetrack. So he's 22 years old. And he makes the move from El Paso, Texas to the Los Angeles area of California. April 10th, 1984, Richard is staying at a hotel where we believe the first of his kills happen. Richard would rape, beat, and stab a nine-year-old girl, leaving her body in the basement of the motel. This case would end up going unsolved for a very long time, until 2009 when DNA would link Richard to the case. So now Richard's time as a serial killer happens during some other pretty monumental times for California. LA was hosting the 1984 Summer Olympics. The Los Angeles Lakers were in the middle of their legendary Showtime era. And the area was still recovering from a previous serial killer just eight years before Richard. So I say all of this to say that like the Lakers are doing great. There's the summer Olympics. There's a lot of people in the area. I mean, it's California. So there's always a lot of people over there, but like, this is like a time where people are already on edge of everything that's going on. So then to add another serial killer in the mix doesn't help. So I've got a question for you. You mentioned the Showtime Lakers. Yep. Name one person off that team. (laughs) Literally, I knew you were going to ask. And I can't tell you basketball because I'm not a basketball fan. My dad is a Lakers fan. So that's the only reason why I can tell you this specific information. Um, But I can't tell you one single player that has ever played for the Lakers. I'm not a basketball person. Not even a basketball person. Samantha. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay, you're gonna have some people come. Listen, come for me all you want to. I'm a football person till I die. I'll I'll watch basketball. I enjoy basketball, but it's not my first sport. It's probably my last sport. If okay, have you have you ever heard of a player called Magic Johnson? I have heard of Magic Johnson. Okay, okay. Dad Thanks. has his jersey. Yeah. Have you heard of somebody called Kobe Bryant? <laughs> Famous L.A. Liker? The more you know. Okay. <laughs> the more I keep um, I literally being almost surprised. left that out because I knew you were going to say something. What's the stats of the L.A. Lakers? I don't know. Listen, <laughs> you can't give me sports information <laughs> on a crime show and not expect me to take it somewhere. He's like, ooh, ooh. Anyways, okay. moving on. You know who won the gold medal? And I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So June 28th, 1984, Jack Vincow goes to his mother's house to visit when he notices that the front door is unlocked and one of the windows is missing its screen. He walks into the house and sees stuff scattered everywhere. He then finds the dead body of 79-year-old Jeannie, his mother. Her throat had been slashed, and she had been stabbed multiple times. 
Now, the next time Richard acts is within a 10-day period in March of 1985, where he would have five attacks, some of the attacks happening on the same day. Those tax attacks would be on March 17th, 1985. Maria Hernandez had pulled into her driveway and she's walking up to her house when she is attacked by Richard. Richard shoots her in the face, but luckily she lifts her hands to cover her face. So the bullet ricochets off her keys in her hands. So she survives. Now, however, Richard thinking Maria was dead continues into the house where Maria's roommate Dale is. Now, Dale heard the gunshot outside, so she is already inside hiding. Unfortunately for Dale, she ends up poking her head out from her hiding spot. Richard sees her and shoots her in the face, killing her. That same night, Richard would be walking down the street when he notices a woman in her car. He wants the car to help him get away and would end up pulling this girl out of her car, shooting her in the face as well, and then taking her car. Richard was also known to kidnap children, sexually assault them, and then drop them off somewhere else. From February to March in 1985, multiple children were kidnapped, and after each one was found, they were interviewed by police, where they would give a description of their kidnapper. One detective started to notice after each child's interview that their description started to sound the same. So he believed that all of the kidnappings were happening by the same person. Now, up to this point, as far as evidence goes, we literally have nothing. The only thing that has been found at any of the crime scenes were shoe prints. So you, we, all we can tell the public is that two separate shoe prints were found from two separate crime scenes, but they were from the same shoe. That's all we have. I mean, you, you almost kind of got to just, I mean, I mean, I know they kind of do, but like you almost have to take that and be like, okay. Yep. I mean, like, I mean, you at least have Let's somewhat of a connection right. there. I mean, uh, you know, the same shoe print. I mean, like, you know, how many people are going to have the same pairs of shoes probably i mean probably right. more than what you think who's gonna wear the same shoes mold i mean at this point you're probably getting cocky but like who's also going to be wearing the same shoes at you that's yeah, exactly what you got to think about like who would be wearing the same shoes over and over to every crime and would somebody be changing shoes you know mm-hmm. so the detective starts to throw around the thought that maybe all of the kidnappings were the same person and that maybe that bleeds through to the murders and the attacks. However, some officials were hesitant. These attacks were against men, women, and children. Normally, serial killers have a type. They go after one type of person and it's very rare for someone to just go after all kinds of people. And then also, Richard, up to this point, had used a variety of murder weapons. He had stabbed people, shot people, and serial killers also tend to kind of stick to one way of killing. However, on July 5th, 
16-year-old Whitney Bennett was attacked in her parents' home, but she survived. When police got to the house and started looking around, they found another shoe print that matched the other prints they already had, and this is what led officials to believe that all of the crimes were being committed by the same person. And then also around this time is when this case gets a nickname. Richard acted a lot at night, so Richard's case got the nickname Night Stalker, which is what this case is now kind of known as. So now that we have the shoe print to link all the crimes together, police go and they look at past crimes to see if any other of those crimes match up. So police look at an attempted abduction on Eagle Rock. A young woman reports a man attacking her, trying to drag her to his Toyota, where when he was unsuccessful, he drives away. Now, police would later see this same Toyota committing a traffic violation, and in an attempt to pull the car over, the driver would jump out of the car, run away on foot, getting away from police. This is after he was able to draw a pentagram, a satanic symbol, into the dust of the windshield before he runs away. Now, the, the car is picked up and police try to get a hold of the Toyota to get any evidence that they can from the car, but it ends up taking them a very long time before they are able to get access into the car. So really, this doesn't help us at all, but at this point, any information is good information. So two days after this car chase, Richard kills 60-year-old Joyce Nelson in her home. Again. The only thing the killer leaves behind are footprints found at the scene. The same night, less than a mile from Joyce's house, Sophia Dickman was sexually assaulted by a man in her home. So after this, police are finally able to get their hands on the Toyota from the chase. They don't get any fingerprints from the car, but they do find the business card of a dentist in Chinatown. Police go to the dentist office and they find out Richard was in the office five days before. He had used a fake name and a fake address, but the dentist was able to provide the police the x-ray scans of his mouth. So at the end of this month, Richard would strike again, this time killing the needling couple, couple, Leela and Maxim. After testing the bullets, found at this crime scene, they would match the same gun used in Dale's case, which was the roommate that had been killed back in March. So then this linked these two cases together. This same morning as these murders, a few miles away, another dead body is found. This body was also killed with the same guns used in the last two murders. Two more footprints were also found at the crime scene. So then this is kind of the icing on the cake of this is all being done by the same person. So Richard would have many other attacks during this time. One witness would say that while Richard was in her home, Richard told her to swear to Satan that she wouldn't look at him. 
At another attack, Richard carved a satanic symbol into the wall before leaving. Now we're in August 1985. We get a glimmer of hope. A witness comes forward and says he saw a suspicious car in his neighborhood saying it was an orange Toyota station wagon while the license plate included the number eight and two. Okay, hold on one second. Yep. Rule number 64. Okay. If you're going to be a committer of a crime, don't own a bright orange vehicle. Uh, don't, yeah, don't, or, uh, yeah. However, I mean, this when this information is released to the public, another man comes forward to police and says that his friend's car had been stolen, which mass matched the description given. So it wasn't his car. He stole okay. this car. But the same rule applies. Don't go for the flashiest car out there. Okay. Well, rule 65 is. Yes. There you go. Don't steal a bright colored car exactly you want you know stick don't to your, steal at all but stick, yes stick to your grays <laughs> silvers blacks right even whites wouldn't right. be bad or blue uh, i mean like but a dark don't blue. go for the bright orange yeah don't bright bright orange bright red like purple yeah pink you're like they won't find me here <laughs> they won't find me in this bright pink car so because it's bright orange police were quickly able to locate the car in a parking lot And they were able to take the car into the crime lab. They are finally lucky when they discover fingerprints within the car. But at the time, California's fingerprint system wasn't automated yet. So they still needed the suspect to compare the fingerprints to. But another man comes forward and says that he believes he might have become friends with the killer. He said that this man went by Rick and said that he openly bragged about knowing information about the Night Stalker's murders. So it turns out that police in a different area of California were also looking into this Rick guy. Now with the two groups helping each other, tips lead to Armando Rodriguez, who was a friend of Richard. Armando would end up being the person to tell police that the Night Stalker's name was Richard Ramirez. Now that the police have a name, police are able to look at the fingerprints they have for the eight different Richard Ramirez's in the area, and they get a match from the fingerprints that they found in the car. Richard had previous previous convictions of grand theft auto and some petty theft, so this is why he's in their database. So could just just imagine for a minute, like say like you're one of the other like seven of them, right. and and they're like, well, we've got to bring them in for questioning. I mean, right. like b- before they, you know, before they got the match, and like you're going in, and you're like, well, and then it makes you think like how many people have been convicted of stuff that they didn't do because their names matched up, you yeah. know, like it, it's, it's crazy to think of like all of the stuff that could have gone wrong because of this. But yeah, literally. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. Like you get called in and you're like, 
Okay. Okay, I'm here for murder now. <laughs> so after configuring the fingertip the fingerprints, police release Richard's name and photo to the public, and the next day his face and his name were everywhere. That day, Richard went into a liquor store where he sees his face on the front page of the newspaper and he runs. However, police identify him as soon as he starts running. He tries to carjack someone nearby but is unsuccessful and then a few blocks away he tries again in a neighborhood. He tries to attack a woman from behind to get into her car. The woman's husband hears the commotion from inside of his house, runs outside, and ends up hitting Richard in the head with a metal pole. Other people in the neighborhood hear what is going on, and they all surround Richard so he can't run, and then they wave down police to Richard. After this, Richard was in custody. He admits to police saying, it's me. Anastasia Hernes was six years old when she was sexually assaulted by Richard. Police brought her in with other victims to pick Richard out of a lineup when she was able to pick Richard out right away. And this story, it's not funny. I shouldn't say it's funny, but she is literally six, seven, eight years old at the time when they bring her in for questioning and they tell her, you know, they've got nine, 10 people up there and they're like, we're going to give you this piece of paper and we need you to write the number of which guy it is. Um, and so they bring all the guys out and she looks at him and then she looks to the place and says, so do I just tell you it's number three or do I write down number three? And Richard Ramirez was number three. So like wow. really quick and she knew exactly who it was. So July, 1988, during his trial, Richard makes his first court appearance. He pleads not guilty to all charges. And before he leaves the room, he holds up his hand where he has drawn a pentagram on his palm and then says, Hail Satan, before leaving the room. September 1989, Richard is found guilty on all charges, including 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. And he was sentenced to 19 death penalties. Richard would die in 2013 from complications within the prison. Um, so he wasn't able to fill out his life sentences. But this Nin is... 19 death penalties. 19 death that penalties. That is... 19 I, life sentences. I think that is the record for us. So far. I mean, I say that I'm not hinting at anything. I don't know off the top of my head what everybody else got that I've listed. But you're, yeah. You're, you're not doing like a like a teaser for, a, no, no. for next week's episode? Um, It could be. I don't know how much that guy got. That's the teaser. Come back. <laughs> Come back in here. But yeah, episode 92. This was the first one that I think I texted you and I was like, do you know this guy? And you're like, no. <laughs> you're is... like, I, probably not. So far, I'm one for two. Well, there you go. That's, that's pretty good in most sports things. I mean, 28 more to go. 
We'll see how this goes. I don't, don't like we'll see my, how this season goes. I don't like my chances. Twenty-eight on, on, to one. On, on, on in finishing, <laughs> knowing all of these, I'm gonna just start googling famous crime, <laughs> famous murderers. And just guessing which ones I yeah. do. Well, there you go. Episode ninety-two. Um, we're starting the season off strong, and we've got twenty-eight more to go. Um. Still taking suggestions. I lied when I said that I have a full 30. I think I have like two or three that st- still need filling. Um, So if you have suggestions, I am taking suggestions to see if they're already on my list. And how do we give you those suggestions? On Instagram. We have Instagram, CrimeologyPod. Facebook, CrimeologyPod. Email, CrimeologyPod at gmail.com. You can send them all different kinds of ways. Um, And just let us know what you want to hear i'm excited for this season i know you are (sighs) i'm so excited so here we are episode 92 like always this is sam this is steven and this is crimeology crimeology